All right, guys, good afternoon, everyone. It's uh, good to be together. I know we're like uh, Chevy said, we're a smaller crowd, but um, definitely give our hearts to uh, the worship today. Thank you, Steve, for doing a great job just leading us in our worship. Amen. Definitely feel honored and privileged to be able to share uh, God's word with you today. And um, actually, I'm probably sure Thumb was happy that the conference just went on because she's going to be sharing a little bit today, too. And she probably feels more comfortable with the smaller crowd. But when she gets up here, give her a warm welcome as well. She'll be part of the lesson. And so I just kind of give you guys a little update. A lot of you guys already know that we brought uh, a little baby girl to the world uh, last month. So that's our family right there. So she's a month old. Her name is Leilani Grace. And, and then uh, that's our two-year-old, Sophia. And uh, we just, uh, Stephanie and I are both grateful that we get to be home for the summer. And I know that it helps a lot because uh, Leilani is nocturnal and sleep is coming at a premium. And then also Leilani, or, uh, Sophia is actually um, potty training right now. So you can imagine it's kind of hectic at our house. But again, uh, we are super grateful to be home. I'm going to go ahead and um, pray for, this, uh, for the lesson, and then we'll get started from there. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much, God, to uh, just be together as a family and to uh, just worship you. God, help us to just, uh, just focus on your love and your mercy, God. I know that this is a time that we can get easily distracted with what's coming up in the week. I know a lot of teachers in the room are going back to work super soon, God, and uh, I just really pray, God, that we can just come here and find rest. God, find encouragement, uh, whatever we need, whether we need to be convicted or whatever the case may be, God, you know exactly what we need at the right time. And so I pray, God, that uh, you be with us as we worship you, God. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so guys, we're going to continue our conversation in Luke 4. So um, Scott has been expounding on in Luke 4, and he asked me to do a lesson on this little last uh, sentence of this verse. So I'll go ahead and read it here. It says there in uh, Luke 4, chapter 8, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 4, verse 8, or verse 6. It says here, he went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up and read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so I'm going to be talking a little bit about that last part where it says to set free those who are oppressed. And so today the, the lesson, the title of lesson today is set the oppressed free. And when you think about oppressed, right, that word is, it's kind of a sad word, right? It's like not a happy word. Right? I mean, some of the words that come to mind for me is hardship, uh, enslaved, misery, right? sorrow, hard-pressed. And I even thought about um, my daughter. This is a, we were forcing her to take a picture <laughs> during Thanksgiving, right? But that's oppression. That's kind of a, a view of oppression, right? And there's a lot of topics that this can cover, right? I mean, I automatically think about when I think about the Bible, obviously the Hebrews being oppressed by the Egyptians, right? Uh, maybe you've experienced oppression in your life. Maybe you have an oppressive work environment, maybe an oppressive boss, or maybe you grew up in an oppressive household or been in an oppressive relationship. Whether you can relate to those things or not, we all have experienced in this room when you're fighting uh, that battle and you're trying to walk with God, this 
type of spiritual oppression, right? I mean, Paul talked about this yoke of slavery, right? And so when I was going kind of through this topic, I kind of thought of my own definition, but we're going to call spiritual oppression, this is the definition for today. Spiritual oppression is a major disruption to God's original design and purpose. I know God's not up there, but spiritual oppression is a major disruption to God's original design and purpose. And, um, you know, as I was looking at that word oppressed, uh, the, the root word for that phrase in Greek is this word we call thrao. Thrao. And what it means is actually to break into pieces, to shatter, or to be broken by calamity. And I'll show, I'm going to show a quick clip that kind of gives a visual representation of something that's thrao or oppressed to shatter and to be broken. I'm a basketball fan, so... Notorious for needing his dunks, the self-proclaimed chocolate thunder became the NBA's answer to Muhammad Ali. Philadelphia 76ers took a pass from Doug Collins with 6.42 left in the fourth period. The Sixers up 108.99 and destroyed his second backboard of the season. This time it didn't bring it all down, but the rim popped out and landed on the floor. Spectrum officials were ready... But it still took an hour and 14 minutes to clean up the mess and finish the game, which the Sixers won 132-120. Looking at it again, watch the tremendous yeah. power with oh. which Dawkins rams the ball through the hoop. That's calling gone. the chips of glass from Daryl's broken backboards, Daryl's diamonds, just in time for Christmas. All right. Bob Dominey reports. That's Daryl Dawkins. He played in the late 70s and 80s, and I don't know if you heard the video, but his nickname is Chocolate Thunder. And he was actually like the Muhammad Ali of the NBA, and he he um, gave a nickname to every one of his dunks. And I thought this was just for fun, but he I'm going to sh- share with you what he called this dunk. It's called the Chocolate Thunder Flying Ribbon Knees Crying Teeth Shaking Glass Breaking Rump Roasting Bun Toasting Wham Bam Glass Breaker Jam I Am. Like <laughs> he called all of his dunks and had a nickname, and so I thought that was pretty fun. But as you look at this, right, he shatters the backboard completely, right? Like, that, no, that, that rim has no longer use for what it was intended for, right? You can't obviously play with a broken backboard. And similarly, when we're experiencing spiritual oppression or throttle, right, we're not living in the way God designed us. And to even continue with that analogy, like, if you tried to play basketball, there's, like, no point, right? I mean, you couldn't keep score. You couldn't score, obviously. Yet, a lot of times, we can live our lives that way. Right? We can live in a broken state. Or maybe sometimes it's just a specific area where you have something broken and you're experiencing spiritual oppression. You know, and I think we can decide to do that because sometimes it's just, it's just easier. It's just easier to live shattered. It's just easier to live in a broken state. Because if we did the opposite or did it God's way, then that means we would have to pick up the pieces, right? We'd have to try to take time and invest and get messy. Sometimes there's nicks and cuts. I'm sure the person that was picking that up wasn't having fun, right? Yeah, it can take a while. And obviously that's not God's plans for us though, right? It's to give us freedom from this oppression. Yet the question is today, are we going to choose freedom or are we going to choose oppression? And when you look at the Bible, there's many characters that you look at that didn't choose freedom, right? They chose oppression from their choices. Like you think about Immediately, uh, Cain and Abel, right, chose oppression. You know how his story ended, or with his brother anyway. Certainly Judas, right, 
maybe uh, David and Bathsheba when he tried to hide his sin. And I think these stories serve as a warning of what could happen when we don't trust in God and we don't trust the story that he has for us. Take a look at this verse in James chapter 1, in verse 13. James talk about, talks about how sin can be this dreadful progression. It says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. When it's full grown, birth, or it gives birth to death. And so this verse shares kind of a scary way, right, to how sin can fester and grow and ultimately lead to a tragic ending. And I remember seeing this, this visual uh, that always stuck with me on how our, that our choices today can be the chains of oppression tomorrow. And uh, so let's say, for example, I make a choice, right? I choose to act out in my anger. So I make that choice. And you can kind of submit whatever you struggle with in there. Maybe it's lust or a second look. But let's say I choose anger, right? And it's just a choice. We think it's small. And a lot of times it is, right? But obviously Satan's crafty. And he knows that if he can make you compromise once, then he can probably do it again, right? And sometimes it's not even Satan. Like the scripture says, it's our own evil desire. However, so those choices... They can become a habit, right? So we have a choice, and that choice can easily become a habit, and we're just doing it more than we want to or we would like, right? kind of just happens because we've been doing it every so often, and it becomes a habit. We've all heard of that saying, you become what you repeatedly do, right? There's choices, it becomes a habit, and then all of a sudden... But after it becomes a habit, it starts to become what we call automatic, where it's kind of just in our nature, right? And that's how you respond. I'm just angry, like something happens to me, and I just respond out of anger. And I couldn't really control it, right? It became automatic, and it's just like, man, like I don't know where it's coming from. It's just, I'm just used to doing it. And maybe it fixes problems, like right then and there, but it drives people away, right? It causes issues, but as long as I can get it out, and I fix the problem, it's all good. I'll just deal with it later. So it starts to become automatic. And after that, when something becomes automatic, at that point you're not really choosing to be angry. It's more than a habit. It's more than it being a response. It starts to become your identity. And you start to identify, right? Now it's not even what you do. It's you who you have become. And this can be extremely hard for us, right? Because obviously we can struggle with that identity and we know that we're a son of God. We know that, you know, God loves us and gives us mercy and grace, right? But it's like, man, I I keep doing this. This is who I am. This is just my nature. And we carry this oppressive weight on our shoulders. Throttle, right? Broken. Cole's going to come up here real quick to kind of finish off this analogy. And obviously, Cole's a spiritual brother. This is just an analogy. But let's say that he's struggling with purity, right? These are real cuffs, by the way. I think I brought the key, bro. You're good. All right, so Cole, right, 
He's been making these choices of impurity. It's become a habit. It's become automatic. He's struggling with identity. And if you didn't know, Cole was actually dating. Has an amazing sister that he's dating back east. Named Nicole. If you haven't met her, she's a sweetheart. But let's say Cole's desire, right? It's to lead her by example in her purity. And to walk with her and guide her and be strong. And every time... He tries to lead her and walk with her. This is what happens. He's dragged and enticed. He's under oppression. Every time he tries to lead her and walk with her, he's dragged and enticed and oppressed. Another example. Let's say that he wants to build, desire, great relationships in the kingdom, right? Brotherhood. Be close with them. But he's struggling with his anger, and every time he tries to get close to him and tries to walk with them, he, he, he gets angry, and he drives him away. And every time he tries to do it, he's dragged and enticed and oppressed. Guys, take a look at this picture. This is a broken state, right? This is oppression. Like Cole can feel the weight of the chains. This is thrao. This is not how God designed life to be. This is broken. Let's give Cole a round of applause. I think I remember how to do this. Let's see. All right, there you go. Thank you, bro. Amen. Pretty crazy visual, right? Because it can feel like that, too. It is painful, and it is a struggle. You know, for me personally, one chain that, of sin that I've been trying to break away from, and it keeps coming back up, is selfishness. I know that we're all selfish and, you know, but it just hit me because the other day Stephanie and I were talking about our finances and budgeting and she was saying how she can struggle with like buying things for our girls when she's out and about, right? And she's like, man, I just like, I want to like provide for them before I provide for myself. Like I want to meet their needs instead of my own. And she's an amazing mother and we're blessed to have her. Um, but for me, like, I don't know if I can say the same. You know, there's been instances where like, I was just thinking about myself, and physically, like, Sophia's been hurt. And over the years, it's just become a habit to be selfish. It's been a habit to be selfish on automatic, right? Like, I'm just like, man, I'm a dad, though. I'm like, I'm supposed to be switching my thinking around, but it's there. However, I do know that God is working on me, and the plan is to set me free. And whatever sin that you have in your life, that God is working on you and plans to set you free as well. And this idea, you know, made me think uh, kind of the cycle that we get in sometimes as disciples and trying and struggling with, with certain, you know, oppression in our life. So I got my, my undergraduate degree in criminal justice, and there's this term uh, that we studied called recidivism. And so what recidivism means is it refers to a person's relapse into criminal behavior. So basically it's when... Someone commits a crime, they get out, and then they commit a crime again because that's all they know. And so they go back to jail. And so part of our, our goal was to try to basically what type of restore, what type of practice will help reduce recidivism. And what we were finding when you study that out is that the most effective way to reduce recidivism is something called restorative practice. I'm going to show you the four different, um, terms that are the cornerstone of restorative practice. Take a look. It says apology, forgiveness, community, support, 
and healthy relationships. Does that sound familiar or what? Yeah, right. That's that's the church. Right. That's God's plan. God's plan is restoration. It's God who gives freedom. Right. It's pretty encouraging that we get this in God's church, that we can be restored as well. The second part of this lesson and most important part is actually living in freedom. Right. But I think to, to know what freedom looks like, you have to know what it's not. Right. Isaiah 58. We're just going to read 2 through 6. Isaiah 58, 2 through 6. So this is a, some, a couple of chapters before what Jesus read. But it says, For the day after day they seek me out, they seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager, to do, eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and have you not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and striking with each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed for, and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. So this is an amazing verse that talks about religiousness versus righteousness. And so the Israelites thought, like, okay, we can just fast, and that's what God really cares about. But it, even this says in the verse that God doesn't really notice, or at least that's not what's most important. And I can relate to this where I can confuse, and we've had those discussions, even Roy talked about it at our midweek, uh, for our men's midweek. Um, basically, our actions can lead us to God, or closer to God, and I'm just going to give you kind of a glimpse into, like, Aaron's thinking, okay, for a moment. And so, and this is kind of what I was taught and what um, I strive to do the best of my ability. So the first Aaron, right, having daily quiet time, it's a must. Giving consistently, making all the meetings of the body, evangelizing, being in Bible studies, sharing my faith as I go, bringing visitors to church, disciple times, getting with someone regularly, right? So if I was doing all these things, in my mind, like, I was doing pretty good, right? I'm a stud. Like, I can even help people spiritually if, you know, they're not straight, right? However, that's not always the case. Sometimes there was Aaron that was having two to three quiet times a week, not giving consistently, missing meetings of the body, not sharing my faith in some way for long periods of time, right? Not meeting with someone regularly. And if I was doing this, if it was this Aaron, then I told myself, man, I'm like veering off the narrow road. Like, I'm a Luke Christian, right? I'm not carrying my own weight like everybody else is. You know, and in my warped thinking, I felt like I was letting God down. And so it doesn't even, like, have to take sin to oppress us, right? It's just, I mean, our own religious thinking. And here's what I've learned over the years. Both Aaron's in this scenario receive the same amount of love from God. needs the same amount of grace. He's the same amount of mercy. Both errands are provided the same freedom that Christ gives. Amen? Amen? And I'm not saying, like, not doing those five things. Like, I mean, that, that obviously helps, right? Yeah. But we do have to understand that those five things is not what sets us free. Right. It's knowing the depth of God's love that sets us free. And this next slide, there's just scriptures. And there's, you'll find scriptures all over the Bible. But just talk about God's endless grace 
and mercy. I'll just read one of them. It's Psalm 145, 8 through 9. And just let it soak in as I read it. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He is compassion on all he has made. It was cool because I was like putting this lesson together and I saw this on, um, on social media, a quote from C.S. Lewis. I thought it was just perfect and what I needed to hear at the time. But it says, God has infinite attention to spare for each one of us. You are as much alone with him as if you were the only being he had ever created. And I've heard that like in different ways, but like when I saw that, I was like, man, this is what sets us free, right? Whether we're doing A, B, or C, like God has infinite love and attention for us, and that's what sets us free. And I know that can be difficult to do, right? I mean, we have to transform our minds as Christians, but because I mean, for me, like when I blow it, like I don't automatically think, oh, God's great. I don't think of God's grace and forgiveness and he loves me, and he's so full of compassion. Like, it's the exact opposite, right? It's like, oh, man, this is my identity. Like, this is my habit. I just, this is who I am, right? But no, God does love us. And my challenge for us this week is that when you mess up and blow it this week, because you are, right, immediately meditate and recite your favorite verse on forgiveness and grace. And my hope and prayer is that it does become a habit. It becomes automatic. And it becomes your identity. And if we walk like that, and we're thinking that, like, we're going to be free. Amen? This last part that I want to touch on about living free. Isaiah 58, the last couple of verses, starting in verse 7, it says, It is not to share food with the hungry and provide the poor wanderer with shelter. When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from them your own flesh and blood. And if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. I've highlighted share food with the hungry, clothe the naked, satisfy the needs of the oppressed. Right? When you're living free, then you're able to give people the opportunity to be free as well. You're just seeing the needs and fill them. Right? Be that person that fills the cup of others. But it starts with feeling free yourself and and embracing that love of God and then being able to fill other people's cup up. So when you see people that are, I don't know, hurting in the church or even outside of church, to love up on them as well. True freedom is being free and then being able to help others be free as well. I'm going to bring up Thelma here. She's going to share a little bit about her life and the way, different ways she's been oppressed and how she's breaking free. That will lead us into communion. You got it, you got it. Hold on, before you start, I'm going to put mute. You got this. Hold on, let me uh, mute my microphone. Is that good right there? Can anybody hear me? Hold on, one second. Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, my name is Dama Gonzalez, and like almost the whole church know that I'm... Stephanie Domingo's mother. I'm original from Guatemala, and that's why I have a really heavy accent. I always tell people that I don't speak Spanish or either English. I always speak Spanglish. Okay? Bear with me, and I'm going to try my best to be understood. Okay? I left my country when I was just 20 years old. The reason I did this was 
I was physical and verbal abuse from my father. And the only way I can free from that abuse was to go far away. I came to the United States when I, and that caused a lot of problems because I don't, I have to learn a new language and then I don't have anybody to help me to learn it. I did it on my own and I learned to survive. Knowing God at my age of 14 years old, I never went to him for help. Uh, that behavior caused me a lot of problems. I came to be a really angry, lonely, and prideful person. After I got married in the country, my only priority was husband, kids, and work. I never let God to come to my life. Aaron and I, Aaron and I, we've been sharing about his lesson, and I began to think how I have left oppression not having God present in my life. I began to start reflecting how angry and prideful and extremely independent person not having God in my life. Previous period to coming to the desert, I used to live in Anza, California, by myself for too long. I have a little, very, a small little contact with people that affect many relationships, especially with my daughter Stephanie, that I never let her know how I feel or what I need help with. But six years ago, Stephanie invited me to come to the city church. I always have excuse not to come. I always tell her that I, my car is not working properly or my pressure always got too high when I drive in the Highway 74. By that time, my best friend passed away and she left me a large gift that allows me to buy a new car. No longer I can say no to coming to the church. <laughs> um, after a few months visiting the church, I request to study the Bible when four amazing women and began to understand the meaning of the cross. And then God baptized, restored my life with God and an experience and transformation in my life. I was blessed the opportunity to retire at 65 and sold my house in two days. Something hardly happened. God was working in my life already. I moved to the desert to be close to Aaron and Stephanie and become a full-time godmother. Not, excuse me, grandmother. Then those blessings replaced my feelings of angry, loneliness, and pridefulness that I have when I came to this country. I feel so much joy being available to help with my granddaughters anything they need and see them grow up. My relationship with God now is amazing, and I can say with my open heart, that he is the love of my life. I continue working on daily basis in my prayerfulness nature, and it's a slow process, process but God will, will set me free. I will conclude the reading 
in this in the book Ephesians 4:22 you are tasked to you are tasked with regard to your former ways of life to put off all selves which is being corrupted by in the deceitful desires thank you to share up here and she's always said no or i'm not ready maybe it was pridefulness or fear oppression maybe she was feeling i don't know but um the fact that she's up here and shared her story it's pretty amazing so if you're struggling with whatever uh hopefully that's an inspiration to you to be able to break those chains amen let's go ahead and uh pray and then we'll take communion together and then we'll have one last song uh father in heaven thank you god just for this time to come together lord with my family and uh obviously god oppression is not a a fun topic, God, but you came to break oppression, God. And um, obviously we were broken and shattered, and a lot of us um, are still fighting and battling that, God. But thank you, Father, that you don't only just pick up the pieces, God. You restore everything that's even bigger and better, God, um, to, what it's, uh, to what it was before, kind of like what Thelma shared. And um, I just pray, God, that whatever we're feeling, anything that's holding us down, God, or weighing us down, Lord, and... God, uh, thank you that you feel it too, Lord. Uh, you sympathize with, with everything that we go through. And uh, we are grateful that we have a high priest that sympathizes with us. And I just pray, God, that um, we can just feel it get off our shoulders and onto yours, God, because we know that you can take it, Lord. If you can conquer the cross, obviously you can conquer any of our problems. And I just really pray, God, that we can connect with you as we take our communion right now, God. We love you so much. Help us to embrace, God, um, the love and compassion that you give us, God. Help us to have faith in your blood, Lord, that um, that was a signal, a sign of your love for us. Uh, We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.